For instance, if you were to estimate your market model over the first half of 2020, which saw a huge spike in volatility, and then use that market model to test whether or not days were significant on the, you know, the second half of 2020 when volatility was much lower, you can actually have the opposite problem, which is that you can identify days or fail to identify days as being significant when they actually are. Welcome to the Brattle Exchange, where we explore critical economic, financial, and accounting topics with Brattle experts and influential voices from industry and academia. It's hosted by the Brattle Group, a global consulting firm that tackles complex economic, financial, and regulatory questions for corporations, law firms, and governments around the world. Well, hi, I'm Ryan Leary, and I'm an economist and a senior associate with the Brattle Group uh, based in our Washington, D.C. office. And I've been at this about uh, five years, and uh, great talking with you today, David. Yeah, thank you. My name is uh, David McKnight. I'm a principal in the New York office. I've been doing this a few years longer than five years. It's going to be over 20 years now, and I've been doing uh, you know securities litigation for a fair amount of that. Yeah, we're very excited to be talking about event studies today, David. And uh, you know, for those who may not know, event studies are a way to value the impact of information, right? So, for example, a disclosure, like the disclosure of information to a market, uh, like the price of a stock, for example. You could you could think of how looking at the way a stock reacts to like an earnings release or something like that, right? And an event study is just a formal way to look at that. Uh, basically, you have a model that predicts the way a stock is expected to perform in the absence of information. And then we look at how it actually performs when the information is released. And we have an estimate of how the market is pricing a disclosure. And, you know, you see this very commonly in securities class action lawsuits where an expert is assessing damages related to some disclosure. And uh, what the model does is it allows us to screen out the normal predictors of fluctuations in a stock and, you know, kind of looking at a narrow window could be several hours, could be over the course of a day. Looking at a narrow window in time or an event window allows us to kind of screen out extraneous events that could also be affecting the, the same stock. You know, the model really also gives us a way to assess whether an, the event is statistically significant, right? So basically, whether the effect of the event on the asset is significantly more than the typical or normal day-to-day -day fluctuations that we see in an asset price. And, you know, this is one of those places where a very well-established and tried-and-true model can run into practical challenges. We need to be quite careful. And in particular, if your baseline period or your training period or your estimation period all turns for the same thing, if your estimation period for the model is based on fluctuations that are at a different level than the period of the event that you're looking at, uh, which is called you know, the event window, as they say. The model is much more likely to mistake what is a normal day-to-day -day fluctuation in the current period for a significant event uh, when it in fact isn't. Or conversely, it could identify what in reality is an insignificant fluctuation as a significant one. And so this is where economists uh, just need to be very careful and look at the specifics of the market and the case that they're, that they're dealing with. Uh, I'll just add that, you know, in the paper that Ryan and I recently wrote, uh, we talked a lot about volatility and changes in volatility over time. And so just to explain that from a lay perspective, what we mean by volatility, you can think of as being how much a stock price moves. So a very volatile stock price is going to be one that you know, moves a lot from second to second or hour to hour. 
Whereas a less volatile stock price is one that, you know, is moving less and that's not moving as much from minute to minute or hour to hour. You know, the reason why volatility is important is because when we're working in a securities class action case and we're trying to test whether or not the stock price movement on a particular day was material or not, you know, it matters how much you expect the stock to move on a typical non-interesting day, right? And so in periods of, for, for very volatile stock, uh, you would need to have a, a pretty large movement in the stock price to identify that movement as being abnormal or you know, material. Whereas for a less volatile stock, you would need you know, a smaller movement. Yeah, that's right. And this problem of you know shifting volatility and the effect that that can have on these models, it really... It becomes important when the market is fluctuating a lot. You know, when things are pretty stable, you don't have this issue. Uh, and, 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 you know, there's, a, there's always a curve to these kind of things. But very basically, the kind of events, <laughs> using the wrong term here, but the sort of market moves that can generate substantial problems are actually pretty rare, right? The times when you have a different level of volatility, different enough level of volatility in your estimation and event window, it's only really a couple times in the past few decades that we've had that issue, right? And this is kind of what generated our interest, David, in, in looking at this topic, uh, especially because of COVID-19, right? So we saw this happen in the 2008 financial crisis, and uh, we saw it again recently with COVID. So we, you know, you have several years of relatively low and stable volatility that's followed by, you know, not just the big drops in the value of the market and, and stocks in general that we all felt, but a sustained increase in the day-to-day fluctuations or, or volatility due to the uncertainty generated by these events. And the patterns were pretty similar. They both saw similar size increases in, in volatility uh, with slightly different durations and sort of feedback after the fact, right? So it was about six-month period, uh, very sharp and relatively brief six-month period spike in volatility for COVID. It lasted about a year for the financial crisis. And then over the, the course of the next couple of years, you sort of have these secondary kind of more marginal increases and decreases in volatility as well. And so these are examples, you know, in periods of time, depending on the way your event study is being conducted, you know, when the estimation window is and when the event window is, these are examples where this sort of boilerplate or standard or traditional event study methodology, call it the Econ 101 event study. These are examples of times when this sort of basic assumptions under that model fall apart and you can get incorrect statistical inferences or right or just identifying days as significant when they are not or vice versa. Yeah, that's that's correct. And that's that's essentially the the topic of the article that uh, Ryan and I wrote. I remember, you know, seeing this back in the global financial crisis, uh, what we saw at that time was that there were a lot of securities class actions that were filed you know, alleging disclosures during a period when there was a huge spike in volatility. And the problem with that is that, you know, if you estimate your market model on a period before there was that high volatility, you can actually incorrectly identify days as being significantly large returns when really it has nothing to do with any sort of information that was released on those days. All you're really picking up is the fact that the markets were really volatile and, uh, you know, market-wide uh, effects, right? And so that's what we're trying to avoid doing. 
the, the new thing about this article is what we've also shown here is that that effect can actually work in reverse as well. So for instance, if you were to estimate your market model over the first half of 2020, which saw a huge spike in volatility associated with the COVID-19 pandemic, and then use that market model to test whether or not days were significant on the, you know, the second half of 2020 when volatility was much lower, you can actually have the opposite problem, which is that you can identify days or fail to identify days as being significant when they actually are. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and it was an interesting study to conduct, you know, basically what you're doing is you're coding uh, the computer to run a lot of event studies, uh, which is fun. And so sort of a broad look at how event studies are performing during this entire period. And so, yeah, and that's, that's why we had selected this period. You know, we looked at 2016 to 2020, this period that sort of brackets the COVID spike, right? The early 2020 COVID volatility spike, we've got the before and the after, and we sort of look at how event studies are Forming at a very large level, conducting many, many event studies. You know, selecting 20 random companies from the S&P 500 and just kind of seeing what happens. And, you know, economists typically use a 5% baseline for statistical significance. It's a, it's a threshold, it's a tolerance uh, to allow, you know, false negatives and false positives uh, to work out in a predefined way. But basically the standard baseline is 5%, meaning we would expect 5% of days to be identified as statistically significant by these models if, in fact, the, the volatility in the estimation and the event windows is the same or, or close or stable as, we, as it normally is, let's say, outside of these large market moves. That's what we did. We essentially checked to see if that's the case. And we do it in this sort of alternating six-month windows. You know, event studies, they can use six-month estimation windows or one-year estimation windows. And the correct size, you know, depends on the situation, but we did a six month window. And so, for example, we're using the first half of 2017 to kind of train the model to get our baseline. And then we look at event windows, uh, just one day event windows every day for the next six months. And we see how many of those days show up as statistically significant. And, you know, under this baseline 5% assumption, if volatility is stable, we would expect 5% of the days to show up as significant. And, you know, unsurprisingly, this set of event studies we conducted, the sort of standard approach performs reasonably well in the pre-2020 period, right? We get between 3 and 8% of the days are significant, uh, statistically significant on average, which is in the same ballpark as the 5% for a correctly specified test. So not perfect, but uh, doing okay. You know, so somebody running a quote unquote naive event study in these stable periods isn't going to be too far wrong from the 5% threshold that, you know, economists impose for significance. Well, what we find is, as you were, you were indicating, David, this huge spike of volatility in early 2020, when we're using the period just before that is our baseline. So these relatively smaller day-to-day -day fluctuations. And then we run uh, event windows that are during the COVID spike in early 2020, the model's showing huge numbers of significant days. We're getting over 30% of those days are showing up as statistically significant, right? One out of every three days is significantly different from the normal, basically, which is obviously just doesn't make sense, right? Way higher than the 5% for a correctly specified test, right? So if there are economists out there running these sort of basic event studies during this period, they're going to run into significant problems if they don't address this. And conversely, as you said, David, we get less than 3% of days are significant in the period after that in the second half of 2020, because then the model is using this 
large volatility period from early 2020 as the baseline. And once it goes down, we get a decline in significant days below the 5%, substantially below it. And so then we're, over we're underestimating the number of significant days. So these sort of large swings in volatility, increases and decreases both, would cause an economist running this basic model to get incorrect conclusions, basically. Yeah, that's right. And the implications for this research to securities class action litigation is that you don't take care to make corrections to these models in these periods of widely fluctuating market volatility. You could inadvertently identify days as being significant of having material price reactions when in fact they do not. Or conversely, you could fail to identify days as having significant price reactions when in fact those price movements were significant. And so, uh, you know, from a litigation standpoint, you know, that can be a, a pretty important issue that requires correcting. So we, uh, we talk about a couple of different methodologies that one could use to help correct for these changing volatility regimes. Uh, the first is you can actually uh, change the time over which you estimate your market model to, meet, to make it so that you estimate your market model over a period that is you know, much closer to the alleged disclosure date than what's typically done. Uh, typically, you're going to estimate your model over a, you know, a six-month or a one-year clean period uh, before the class period starts. What you could do if you have this problem with volatility changing is you could estimate your model over a period that's actually inside of the class period. And so it could be much more contemporaneous to the alleged disclosures that you're testing. The potential issues with this is that you have to make sure that you exclude from your model any days that may be affected by the alleged fraud because we don't want to be uh, you know, including that in our, in our model. There are also other methods that one can use um, as a correction. Uh, for instance, one could look to the volatility implied by options trading, or one could develop a model uh, of, vol of the underlying volatility using a Garch model or something similar like that. Yeah, and you know, there's this, as you said, David, there's this sort of uh, large set, uh, and it's actually a growing area of, uh, of research that's interesting. There's this large set of corrections and checks economists are working on to try to to try to adjust for this basically but what we did here is just to sort of demonstrate as a proof of concept you know some simple things you can do basically and as you said the sort of the, the easiest thing to do is just to move the estimation window around to get closer to the event itself so it's getting a you know a more recent on average uh, sample of that volatility and so you know we yeah we demonstrated a couple of these here and you know, we got some encouraging results, right? So on the one hand, we brought the estimation window right up to the event day, right? So instead of doing six months and then another six month block where, you know, at the end of the latter block of event days, basically you're six months away from the estimation window or nine months on average, um, we're bringing the estimation window up to each of, right up to the day before each of the days in that six month window. And that, you know, that significantly reduced the number of significant days and, and conversely increased them when we were getting far away from that 5%, right? So, you know, so that rolling estimation window, bringing it right up to each of those days, we got down to 13% uh, of uh, significant days in the first half of 2020 relative to that 30% with the traditional methodology. Uh, and taking a, an, another step or a step further, depending on how you, how you see it, doing three months before each of those days and then three months after. So that's getting you on average even closer in time. You know, the number of days, the average number of days between your estimation window and your event window is even smaller there. And you're getting a before and after picture, right? So it's just kind of closer in time to the event. Sort of this 
pre and post split estimation window, you're getting down to 7% significant days in the first half of 2020. So we've gone from 30% to 13% and then 7%, you know, just applying these relatively simple methods. And, you know, we get a number of periods we looked at it over, but in general, we're getting close to that 5%, uh, very close to that 5% with these relatively simple approaches, just being careful and looking at the case by case basis and, and listening to the data applying some of the known fixes out there, you can get to correct statistical inference. It's just a matter of being uh, doing your due diligence. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, we did one other test in the paper, which sure shows the difference between these methodologies. We ran these event studies for 13 different periods, um, being the half year, or every half year between the second half of 2016 and the end of 2022. And so for each of those half year periods, we ran a market model, you know, on the on the prior six months and on the following six months, and looked at the number of days that the market model would have identified as having significant news days. And what we found is that of those thirteen different periods, uh, using the traditional event study methodology, eight of them had either more or less than what uh, statistically more or fewer significant days than one would have expected based on the five percent threshold. That traditional methodology it doesn't perform very well uh, during these periods of changing volatility. If you use the rolling pre-event estimation window that Ryan was explaining, that reduces the number of uh, misestimations from eight down to five. So uh, five of the 13 periods had statistically different from 5% uh, the number of news days. If you use that rolling split estimation window, the one that could use her closest in time to the uh, alleged disclosure, it goes down to one. So you only find uh, more news days than you would have expected in the first half of 2020, which is you know, obviously a period of a huge spike. So just by making this very simple correction, uh, you can actually uh, control for a lot of these, these problems and changes in volatility. Yeah, this is really fun to look at. And it's just one of those cases where you know, as economists, we're always finding that, you know, the, oh, yeah, sure. We were going to run a statistical test and we're, we're, we're trying to investigate something and we want to get answers to a question. But you, you have to be very careful when you specify a statistical test in order that it's correctly identifying what you think it is. And this is just one of those examples where, you know, the devil's in the details and you have to dive into the underlying assumptions and make sure that they're satisfied before you run something. You know, it's been a, a lot of fun working with uh, you, you on this, David. And, uh, you know, I think the number of security class actions that are out there, uh, you know, over the past several years that could be affected by this and the event studies that are being run, uh, you know, makes it makes it an area to be aware of uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, I look forward to collaborating with you on more uh, more event studies going forward. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. It was a uh, pleasure. It was all mine. And uh, like we said, I think the, you know, what the exact right methodology is on a particular case, it's really going to depend on the allegations and the facts and the circumstances around that particular case. So I think the only message here you know, isn't that there's one right method that one, one should be using. It's more that if you're trying to run an event study on a, you know, over these periods where there is changing volatility, uh, you need to be aware of that and you need to make sure that your experts are thinking about that and controlling for that. And if you don't, you can come up with the wrong answer. It was a pleasure talking to you, Ryan. My pleasure, David. Have a good one.